Welcome to C's for Creepy. My name is Elise. And my name's Courtney. Join us every week as we discuss our favorite true crime and paranormal stories. From A to Z. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of C is for Creepy. Thank you so much for all the love and support and... Thank you to everyone who listened to the Nocturnal Novella bonus episode. It was so great to see all of you listening to it. Yeah, and it was so nice. You know, it's great that we get a chance to do some short little fun stories. And like I said at the end of that episode, if you guys have any suggestions or your own superstitions, feel free to email us at c4creepy at gmail.com. Okay, so... Let's get into the cases for tonight. My F is going to be for familicide. Ooh. So we're going dark again. I was light last week and, uh, well, lighter, I guess, but (laughs) back to darkness. (laughs) Back to darkness. Okay. So familicide can be defined as one member of a family who murders other members of their family commonly taking the lives of all. There is a breakdown in labeling the crime based on who the victim was in relation to the perpetrator. So, for example, parricide is killing someone's parents. Filicide is killing someone's children. Oh. And, like, it breaks down based on, like, sister, brother, uncle, mother, father. Like, it's all specifically labeled with side being the suffix okay yeah a person who kills their entire family would be labeled as a family annihilator okay yeah so i found an article titled family annihilation the crimes and psychology of familicide by fiona gee and it was published in 2022 so very recently (laughs) no kidding yes There it is cited that after a study done in 2013 in which news articles from 1980 to 2012, so that's a 32-year span. Thank you for doing the math. Just once. Oh, One time. (laughs) (laughs) So that span was analyzed. So they looked specifically for cases of familicide that were reported in those articles. There was 71 total cases during that time frame. There was 71 cases of familicide in 32 years? Well, that's just, I believe, in the U.S. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's alarming. A little bit. I mean, it's hard to say with crime, but I could almost see it being more, depending on what go- what's going on. <laughs> yeah i don't know like you always hear that the like i don't think too like that's necessarily like the like just normal rage like it's not like a crime of passion where you know the wife walks in and kills her husband that's just like specifically familicide so like family annihilation that doesn't make me feel any better well yeah so out of 71 cases 59 of the perpetrators were male that is that that's on track. I feel yeah. like that's pretty on par. Unfortunately, that yeah makes sense. Mm-hmm. Half of those males were between thirty and forty. Okay. And sixty-eight percent of the male offenders either attempted or completed suicide after their crime. I was gonna ask because I think usually it's known that like if you take out your entire family, usually you take yourself out as well. So yeah. It, at least in this case, in, like, these specific case studies. Scenarios, yeah. Yeah, so about 68% of the time. Okay. Okay. So even though these killers often kill many people at once or in quick succession, it is important not to just group them with serial killers or spree killers. Well, yeah, because, yes, they killed multiple people, but it's not... They aren't going out looking for people to kill. Not necessarily. No. Their targets live under their roof, unfortunately. Yeah. The P 
people, so mostly men, who kill their families are more niche in their crime. Like I said, so the the 32-year span, 71 cases, like if you think of other forms of violence, like that's a smaller percentage in comparison. So mm-hmm. it is niche. Like it's not such a common crime. It's common enough, but it's not as. Yeah. Yeah. So it's niche and it's not too difficult though to build a profile a family annihilator most times would be a middle-aged man who is a good provider who would be considered by outsiders to be the perfect husband and father so of course this profile is inaccurate every time like taking into account when women are the killers which it does happen yep and that to say though it is a good start for investigators to look at Though I may be very wrong here, but I feel like when women annihilate their entire families, there's a lot of mental health going on there. There is two with males. Like there's yeah. four main reasons. Actually, that's a great segue. So <laughs> listed in the article, the four most common reasons for familicide is so there's either a breakdown in the family relationship. So the wife leaves the husband or, or... yes, the relationship is done. They're breaking up. Mm-hmm. So that will cause there's a financial set stress is another big cause yep yeah uh culture honor killings which is very unfortunate but do happen okay okay like do you need an example nope okay i'm just trying to wrap my head around that one okay yeah fair enough that one like, I understand it from a logical perspective, but from, you know, my own heart and feelings. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. But the last cause would be mental illness. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there are often four distinct types of killers, including self-righteous killers who blame others for their actions. So, for example, they're killing their children because their ex-wife is taking them away. Mm -hmm. disappointed killers who feel as though they have been let down by their family often they do not meet his standards or his beliefs so an example of that would be killing a child or spouse for rebelling in a way that does not meet his mental idea of what a family unit should be like when Ed Gein killed his brother I think that's a stretch, but it's definitely possible. Okay. (laughs) Anomic killers who feel like their family is an extension of economic success. And should there be job loss or any other economic breakdown, their family is no longer serving its purpose. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh. You're telling me you lost your job, so now you're going to kill everybody? Seems rude. Okay. Okay. And the last category is paranoid killers. They feel like their family is under threat from an outside source, and the only way to protect them is by killing them. So the example I saw was child protection services trying to take their children away. So that would be a threat to the aggressor's idea of family. You know, I don't understand, like, I, I'm i never going to understand it. Let's be honest here. But if I was angry that somebody was going to take my kid away, I probably wouldn't kill my kid. I mean, I feel like that's not points for, like, I feel like social services was right to intervene if that was the case. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, so those were the four categories. Those were my facts about familicide but now let's get to the case so i'm gonna be covering an australian case from down under it's one that i didn't know about um it's the story of the sharp family i don't know if you've ever heard of that one i have not Ooh. okay so anna marie kemp and john sharp met while working together at the commonwealth bank of australia Sharp had been born February 28, 1967 in Mornington, Australia. Anna was born in New Zealand, 
and much of her family still lived there. She was four years older than John. Okay. The couple got married in October 1994, and they moved around Mornington. In August 2002, Anna gave birth to their daughter, Gracie. Oh, that's a cute name. It is. Um, unfortunately, Gracie was born with hip dysplasia, so it's a painful condition where the hip joint is not fully formed, so it's very easy to dislocate. Okay. As a result, Gracie often cried, and she was put into a corrective harness for the first three months of her life. So oh, no. It was very stressful for the family. Yeah. Yeah. So even after the harness was removed, Gracie often had issues when it came to, like, sleeping and eating. Like, she just was not comfortable, and it just caused a lot of turmoil. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? So Anna stayed at home with Gracie to take care of the infant, and she also had to take her to numerous doctor's appointments. Mm -hmm. So, like, I mean, it was helping Gracie's quality of life. Yeah, but mom's life completely revolved around Gracie. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So reports do vary on the 10-year marriage. Um, While some say that the family seemed happy and functional, some of Anna's family would disagree. Anna's brother claims she had told her mother that after the honeymoon, she had made a mistake in marrying Sharp. Ooh, shots fired. Right, like after the honeymoon. Yeah. Yeah. Close friends said as well that the relationship was tumultuous with a change in John after Anna announced she was pregnant with a second child. Okay. In January of 2003, John bought a spear gun from a fishing store. Who needs a spear gun? Well, fishermen do, but John wasn't an avid fisherman and he had never shown interest in the sport. Yeah, um, if Jeff showed up with a spear gun, there'd be some issues. Lord have mercy. Oh, it gets dark. Gets dark. So, um, either way, so despite this fact, Sharp, despite the fact that Sharp had no interest in fishing, he practiced using the spear gun. Of course he did. Yeah, over and over uh, until he was comfortable with it. Cool. So that same year in November... Anna announced her second pregnancy. Okay. Anna had always wanted a second child, so Gracie wouldn't have to be alone growing up, and also so she would have someone when, like, the couple would get older and pass. Like, she just did not want Gracie to have to grow up alone. Okay. Right? Like, she wanted a family. Yep. Sharp felt differently, and although he didn't confront Anna directly... He felt as though Gracie was enough of a burden on him, and he did not want any more children. And so the resentment grew. Like, it takes two, mm-hmm. sir. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. March 21st, 2004, the family attended a birthday party for a nephew. All accounts say that the family got along and that Sharp was a doting husband. Of course he was. When they got home, Sharp recalls the couple having an argument, but they went to bed around 9 or 10. Okay, as one does. The next day, Sharp takes Gracie to daycare. He tells staff that Anna had left him. He calls Anna's mother as well, and he elaborated, saying that his wife had in fact left him for another man, and that Anna had been having an affair, and... She would be picking Gracie up at the end of the week. After daycare, he and 15-month-old Gracie stopped by the sporting goods store together. Okay. For three months, Sharp told anyone who asked about Anna and Gracie's whereabouts that she had left him for another man. Okay, 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 okay. Now, don't get me wrong, Jeff is a great dad, but... Are you saying that, like, if Jeff was telling you I left him and left him alone with our kid, would you not have some questions, especially for, like, long periods of time? Girl, we got a podcast together. Like, we got a weekly date. There would be big problems if you just up and left. Oh, I know. (laughs) 
But like, you wouldn't poke some holes in that theory. No. Being like, mm, there's no way she would just leave mm-hmm. and not take her kid with her. Mm-hmm. No, she. Well, John said that she did pick her up after a week. It's still. I know. I know. It's flimsy at best. Okay. Yeah. I guess it would depend how like active of a parent role he took mm-hmm. but very seldomly especially with a kid with like health problems i don't see a mom just taking off with a new man for a week no i'm, s- I'm sorry no 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 that's <laughs> well emails allegedly from anna went to her mother telling her all about this new life she had started emails emails but still it wasn't like Anna not to call. Okay, but still, I'm not emailing you. I know. Oh, man. I know. Her family in New Zealand grew suspicious of John Sharp and asked for police involvement in Anna's disappearance. This was before three months. Like, this was... People were starting to poke holes in his story? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, the th- that whole three-month period of, like was pretty much the family being like why wouldn't anna call me we call each other all the time and john be like oh who knows she's off living her best life pretty much again you would not be so nonchalant if your wife and two children took off mm-hmm. with another man mm-hmm. okay okay let police know that anna had moved to chelsea with her daughter with their daughter i should say but didn't know any further information. And on Anna's mother's birthday, she received flowers paid for with Anna's credit card. Okay, I'm sorry. He doesn't know the whereabouts of his kid? No. Cool, 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 cool. Mm-hmm. As a parent, I'm just enraged. Good. Like, I knew you would be. Okay. I knew you would be. But. Oh, man. No bueno. No. Continue on. Oh, it gets better. Okay, you say it gets better, but it really doesn't. (laughs) It never does. I'm sorry. It just, it just, it boggles my mind the audacity of some of these people that I talk about. Because in May of 2004, John Sharp did a number of interviews for different national media outlets regarding the disappearance of his wife and child. Okay, wait, so for the last three months, he's been saying, oh, she's living in Chelsea with her new man. Oh, she's living in Chelsea, and now she's missing. Now she's missing. She, so I don't think it's in my notes, but um, he had claimed to these outlets that she had last spoken to him the week before, but had since gone missing. I really hope there's phone records to show that, but okay. Mm-hmm. Police found the man on screen completely different then when they had interviewed him, he had been very matter-of-fact and, like, very, like, logical speaking when talking to police. Mm-hmm. But now with the TV crews in front of him, he was emotional, begging for anyone with information to come forward. His quote, Anna, our marriage may be over, but I still love you, and you are the mother of our beautiful child, Gracie whom we both adore more than anyone else, end quote. Okay. Anna's family, as well as this, as well as the police, their suspicions grew. No shit. After another interview with the police that Sharp had on June 10th, the cops decided to tail him this time. Um, so they followed him until he finally stopped near a public washroom where police witnessed him pull out a plastic bag from some bushes, grab a credit card, and he put the bag back. After he left the scene, police investigated the bag and found Anna's cell phone and credit cards, and they also found her ID. What? Why? Why wouldn't he just leave that at his house? Like, hidden somewhere. That's that's some man logic for you. I don't know. (laughs) Unless they're thinking maybe they can track her cell phone. Uh, Maybe. But, like, I don't think in 2004, like, that was very common. Turn it off. Right? 
in 2004, you could have taken the battery out of that sucker and called it a day. Oh my god, remember those days? It was just easy to take the battery out. Or you drop your phone and your whole phone splits into seven pieces. But yeah. Yeah. Um, that That is some dumbass logic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So June 22nd, police arrest Sharp. Now that there is reasonable evidence that he wasn't telling the whole truth. During their first interview, he stuck to the original story. She had left him and... He didn't know where, but during the second story, the truth comes out. The whole truth? And nothing but the truth. Okay. After Anna had gone to bed the night of March 21st, 2004, Sharp had gone to the garage to retrieve the spear gun he had bought. He loaded it and aimed it at his sleeping wife. And he fired it, shooting the spear through her temple. But that didn't kill her. I wouldn't think so. So he fired again, and with the second shot, she passed. Well, yikes. He left her body in bed until the next night, where he then buried her in a backyard in a shallow grave. In a backyard? Sorry, his backyard. Their backyard, I should specify. That's strike number two. Well, I'll get to it. He had tried to pull the spears out of her head, but they were, like, so stuck in there that all he could do was, like, he was able to separate, like, unscrew the spear from the spear head. So he unscrewed the spears. Well, I'm assuming it's, like, an arrow. Yeah, like, similarly shaped. Those are kind of a one-way thing. Right? Okay. Strike three. Okay. So he left the spears' heads embedded. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, he realized now that his daughter would also have to disappear for his actions to stay stay secret. She's 15 months old. Why would she have to die? I I guess because, let's be honest here, mom wasn't going to just up and leave her kid. There would be too many holes in her... I... Well, and he's already feeling burdened with someone watching his child who is having difficulties. Like, she has this, I guess, disability, and, like, she's probably going to have it for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. And he can't handle that with somebody else taking primary care of her. How is he going to do it? Yeah. So, a week after the murder of his wife... Sharp put Gracie to bed and began to drink. He grabbed the spear gun, and he also grabbed two additional spears and crept into the 15-month-old's room. Like her mother, Sharp fired the first shot into Gracie's head, then he fired a second, and then he fired a third. Despite the extensive head wounds, Gracie hadn't died and was screaming, and she was crying. Elise! Oh, this is going to be rough. I'm so sorry. Desperately, Sharp violently pulled one of the spears already lodged in Gracie's head out. He loaded it and fired a fourth time at his child, which eventually killed her. That was disgusting. I know. I, like, there's so much more efficient ways to kill someone. Yeah. Like, spear guns are for fishing. Not humans. Like, that was, if you were hoping for a painless death, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Strike number four. He's a fucking moron. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I know. Lord have mercy. Okay. Keep I, going. Yeah. So, Sharp removed the spears from her head and set to clean up the evidence. He wrapped Gracie's body in garbage bags and a tarp. What a piece of garbage human being mm-hmm. and he took her body to a nearby waste transfer station he also d- disposed of the spear gun the spears and some of gracie's toys and clothes at the same time he threw her away like trash that's he's a vile human being mm-hmm. i wholeheartedly hope that he is no longer on this plane of existence Well, three days after killing his child, Smith visited the hardware store 
and picked up duct tape, a couple of tarps, and an electric chainsaw. So you remember the shallow grave, right? Mm-hmm. So he went home and dug up Anna's body. He proceeded to dismember his wife, cutting her into three pieces. Solid. Okay, mm-hmm. wait. He threw his child out at the waste station. Did nobody find the body? Or are we going to get to that? Oh, we'll kind of get to it. I don't know. I don't think that they actually inspect their waste. So I think like garbage is just all tossed together. But anyways, just to continue on. So he had dismembered her. He wrapped up her remains in a tarp, sealed them with duct tape, and loaded them into the back of his car. He took her remains to the same waste transfer station as his daughter and disposed of her and the chainsaw there. So three months have passed. Now that police knew the whole story, they began the search for mother and daughter. It was a huge task as the transfer station had moved their waste to a large landfill. In late July, the search is underway. Despite the rain and the chill, many police officers volunteer their time to look through the garbage in order to find Anna and Gracie's remains. What troopers. Right? After about, like, it was actually so awesome. I watched, um, I watched one, uh, I don't remember the name of it now at the top of my head, but I watched a very good uh, documentary about it. And, like, there was officers being like, yeah, we'll give up our weekends. We, like, all of our free time, we will spend looking for these two. Aww. So, like, it was so heartwarming to watch that after <laughs> everything else. So after about a week-long search, one of Anna's remains was found buried under two meters of garbage. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. By mid-July, the rest of her remains were found, and not long after, Gracie's body is also recovered. So both of them are now laid to rest in Green Park Cemetery in Duden, New Zealand. Okay. As for John Sharp, he did plead guilty for the murder of his wife and child. On August 5th, 2005, he was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum non-parole period of 33 years. Okay. He is in protective custody while in prison, and he has received many death threats from fellow prisoners. Rightfully so. He would be eligible for parole in 2037. So this part is, I just want to say at the very top, it's speculation. Mm -hmm. So it's speculation on the part of the family and like some other news people think this. But they believe that Sharp was molesting Gracie and Anna found out about it, which caused Sharp to kill them in order to cover it up. Honestly, I, as horrible as that would be, I could see it. Because, like, the stress of raising a child with extra needs is hard. Don't get me wrong, but, like, not hard enough that you would want to kill your wife and child. So, he did, like, his family claims that Sharp had a long history of sexual abuse, allegedly molesting young members in his circle of family and friends. And... There's a quote from one that one of his past victims confronted Sharp, and he told her, quote, she was a slut and deserved it, end quote. There really is no substantial evidence in the case, like, with his family. And you know what? I totally get it. It is so much easier to have a motive be as simple. Like, it's not simple, but, like, it's a very clear-cut motive. Oh, Mm -hmm. you were found out molesting, so that's why he killed them. But I think that that's also just, like, more of a... It's easier for people to wrap their heads around than a man just hitting that point and deciding that he no longer wants a family, he no longer wants this child, and that resentment has built up. Yeah. So, is it possible? Of course it is. But there's just not the evidence there for me to say it's fact. That's, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but that is the story of Anna Kemp and 
John Sharp. What a disgusting human being. Right? I, and like, it's really, like, it's hard finding a familicide case. I was like, well, there's only two. And that still happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I, I understand the idea of protective custody in jail. Mm-hmm. But, like, no, I'm sorry. You killed your infant child with four spear bullets. Yep. No, you should reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That's just my own opinion. <laughs> Tell me how you feel. Sorry. No. no, I, like, I don't know. And then threw her in a garbage bag. Right? To take to a landfill. No. Like, no, ugh. friend. No. I then had the audacity to be like, she left me for another man. Yeah. And I don't know where they are now, except maybe Chelsea. I don't fuck no. He Yeah, he made me rage while I was researching that. Totally fair. Yeah. He he is human garbage. Yeah, he is. Okay. Now on to less dark things. Okay. For my F, I am doing a forest. Ooh. We are going to do the Yosemite National Park. Oh, that's such a good idea. Yeah. I'm so excited. I didn't quite want to do the forest in Japan yet. Oh, the the suicide forest. Yes. yes. We're not there yet. No. So we're going to do the Yosemite National Park. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So it's a national park in California, USA. The park is managed by the National Park Services and covers 759,620 acres, or 1187 square miles. Wow, that's a very large space. It's huge. It sits on four counties, centered in Tuolumne, Mariposa, and extending north and east to Mono and south to Madera County. Okay. Sorry. Uh, designated a World Heritage Site in 1984, Yosemite is recognized for its granite cliffs, waterfalls, giant sequoia groves, mountains, and biological diversity. Almost 95% of the park is designated wilderness. Nice. Of California's 7,000 plant species, approximately 50% occur in the Sierra Nevada area. Okay. And more than 20% are within Yosemite. The park contains suitable habitat for more than 160 rare plants. Yosemite was central to the development of the National Parks idea. Many people lobbied to protect Yosemite Valley from development, ultimately leading to President Abraham Lincoln signing the Yosemite Grant in 1846. Okay, cool. A man named John Muir led a successful movement to have Congress establish a larger national park by 1890, one which encompasses the valley and its surrounding mountains and forests, paving the way for the national park system. Yosemite now draws about 4 million visitors each year. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that I love a forest. I love a forest with the mountains. Mm-hmm. Honestly, when I was looking at this, it's kind of like Banff. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of mountain ranges. There's a lot of, like, open fields. There's a lot of forests. It's really cool, actually. Mm. So, First Nations people have lived in Yosemite for nearly 4,000 years. The indigenous natives call themselves Awanichi, meaning dwellers. Nice. In Awani. Oh, meaning dwellers in Awani. Ah, okay. Yep. (laughs) Miwok legends tell of the creation of people here and of events that took place long before the coming of non-Indigenous peoples in the late 18th century. It appears that most of Yosemite was populated by southern Miwok people, with central Miwok people utilizing the northern quarter of the park. Many tribes visited this area for trade. Okay. The lives of First Nation people in the Sierra Nevada have changed greatly since the 1790s when the first influences of non-Indigenous people were felt. Mm. As 
mm-hmm. non-Indigenous people do. Mm-hmm. The California gold rush in the mid-19th century drew more than 90,000 European Americans to the area in less than two years, causing competition for resources between Native Americans and miners. In 1851, as part of the Mariposa Wars intended to suppress Native American resistance, the state of California funded a private militia to drive Native people from the contested territory. One account of these wars was a battalion captured Chief Tenea, founder of the Awani colony and the Awanichi peoples, and burned their village. Oh, no. The Awanichi people were marched to a reservation near Fresno, California. The chief and some others were allowed to return to Yosemite Valley after. In the spring of 1852, they attacked a group of eight gold miners and then moved east to flee the law enforcement. Near Mono Lake, they took refugee with a nearby Mono tribe. They stole their horses and moved away, but the Mono tribe tracked them down and killed many of the Awanichi people. Oh. Like, times are tough. I mean, like, I get that, but, oh. Yeah. There, unfortunately, was a lot of, like, bloodshed between non-Indigenous and Indigenous people here. No, I, I like, it makes sense with the history but it's still like really difficult to hear about yeah mm-hmm. i want to say it gets better oh but it, it are, doesn't are you pulling a me i'm pulling a you <laughs> the mono people took the survivors as captive back to mono lake and absorbed them into the mono lake tribe in the late 19th century the population of native american inhabitants of yosemite national park was difficult to determine Estimated ranges from smaller numbers such as 30 to 700, the Awanichi people and their descendants were difficult to identify. After these wars, several Native Americans continued to live within the boundaries of Yosemite. A few indigenous tribes supported the growing tourism industry by working as laborers or maids. Later, the First Nations people became part of the tourism industry itself by selling baskets and performing the tours in 1969 the national park service evicted the remaining first nations people from the residence and destroyed their village as part of a firefighting exercise oh fuck that that's bullshit yeah wow after 1969 wow yeah that's disgusting. I even put a frowny face. I, that's a well-placed frowny face. I would also put like an angry scowly face. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. My keyboard doesn't do those. Ugh. You got to learn how to do like the, the old school ones. The T9 frowny face. <laughs> yeah. A reconstructed quote unquote Indian village of Awani has been erected behind the Yosemite Museum, located next to the Yosemite Valley Visitor Center. Mm. So, Yosemite was in the opening scene of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Nice. In films such as The Last of the Mohicans and Maverick. In 2014, a documentary, Valley Uprising, is centered around the Yosemite Valley. Academy Award-winning 2018 documentary, Free Solo, and The Dawn, a 2017 documentary, was also filmed in Yosemite. Wow. So, very uh, popular place. Oh, it's beautiful. Like, honestly, the pictures don't even do it justice. Awesome. I would love to visit it one day. So, now on for the paranormal. Yay! The Awani Hotel and The Shining. Ooh. The Awani Hotel is well known for its convenient location to the Yosemite and its cozy guest rooms. What most people don't know is that it was the visual inspiration for one of the best horror movies of all time, The Shining. Stephen King's famous book, The Shining, was turned into a movie in 1980. While the hotel's exterior architecture was inspired by a different hotel, the inspiration for the interior design for the movie said comes straight from the Awani. Wow. The hotel is also reportedly haunted by its former operator, Mary Curry Tresder. There have been reports from guests and staff having seen Mary floating up and down the halls 
checking on guests, and ensuring everything is in order. Maids have also seen a rocking chair moving in the fourth floor suite. However, the suite doesn't have a rocking chair. Ooh! Oh, that's even worse! Yeah. That's worse than a rocking chair. Have you seen the rocking chair move? There is no rocking chair. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, ma'am. Woke up this morning and that rocking chair just hasn't stopped. What rocking chair? Oh, God, that's so gross. I hate that. Yeah. Can you imagine if you, like, threw your coat on it? <laughs> and it just hit the floor. <laughs> no. No bueno. So our next story is the Grouse Lake Ghost. Oh. The ghost of Grouse Lake is thought to be one of the oldest ghosts in Yosemite National Park. The oldest written record of the ghost is from 1857, written by the park's first ranger, Galen Clark. What a nice name, Galen. Mm. Oh. In the report, Galen describes hearing a wailing sound near Grouse Lake. Galen heard some wailing. Galen heard some wailing. <laughs> when he asked the local tribes about the sound, they had warned him to stay away from the lake. The tribe had shared that a young boy had recently drowned in the lake and continues to call out for help to anyone who wanders close enough to the lake. Oh. It seems the spirit hopes to drown any would-be rescuers by pulling them under the surface. Ooh. The story persists with some hikers claiming to hear children's ghostly cries. Oh, God. That, like, I get having unfinished business, but, you know, this person is just trying to help you, little ghost boy. Why are you pulling him under? Right? That seems, like, really um, aggressive for a child. Ghost child. Yeah. I I would like to think that I would also be that aggressive of a spirit. <laughs> Let's be honest here. I'm just going to sprinkle dog hair in everybody's house. <laughs> oh, Courtney was here. Right? <laughs> You're going to find husky hair all over the place. <laughs> and you're like this bitch. So, our next story is the Tanea Canyon. Ooh. Yosemite National Park is well known for its hiking. There are accessible day hikes for beginners, and there are hikes that should be left for the professionals. Tanea Canyon is best left to most experienced hikers. Tanea Canyon has become known as the Bermuda Triangle of Yosemite. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. Tell me all about it. Over the years, there have been strange disappearances and many stranded hikers in need of rescue. The written history of Tanea Canyon dates to the early 1850s. About this time, white settlers decided to remove local Awanichi people from Yosemite. A fight raged, and American soldiers took the life of ch the chief's son. During the removal, Chief Tanea cursed the canyon and stated he would haunt it forever. Now it's believed the canyon is taking revenge on those who attempt to explore its dangerous terrain. Whether you believe in the curses and ghost stories or not, many have disappeared or suffered unexplainable accidents in the Tanea Canyon. Wow. So the next one is Ghost Wind. Okay. Yosemite is home to several breathtaking waterfalls, but the Miwok Indians believed a dark force stalks the men and women who come to marvel at the water's beauty. Legend has it an evil wind known as Pohono flows over the falls. Like a siren, this entity lures people to the edge of the falls, lets out a gust, and sends them plummeting into the afterlife. Oh my god, that's horrifying. Yeah. Oh. Right? <laughs> oh, man. <Yeah. clears throat> so the next one is campsite number six. Okay. Honestly, this place has so many really interesting stories. Uh -huh. I'm glad I chose this one. Uh-huh. Campsite number six. Yosemite's camp number six is the backdrop for a tragic urban legend. Ooh. One night, a camper took his life, and he was found hanging from the wooden frame of his tent Many people say that you can still see him swaying from the wooden frame on dark, lonely nights. Ugh. Apparently, the best time to witness this phenomenon is between the hours of 11 and 3 a.m. Of course it is. Oh, God, that's freaky. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. 
So we've got some spine chills of Yosemite where we're kind of walking into your territory a little bit. Okay. So in February of 1999, 43-year-old Carol's son, her 15-year-old daughter Julie, and Julie's 16-year-old friend Silvina Peloso checked into the Cedar Lodge and never checked out. A hiker found their red Pontiac torched deep in the mountains with Carol and Sylvina in the trunk. (gasps) And six days later, the FBI received a map leading them to Julie. Oh my God. Her throat had been slashed. Then in July, a teacher at the Yosemite Institute, Joey Ruth Armstrong, went missing. Her body was found 27 feet away from her head in a <gasps> drainage ditch. Ooh. The deranged woman, hating lunatic responsible, turned out to be Cedar Lodge's handyman. Wow. Carrie Stainer. Okay, Harry. I feel like there's better ways to deal with yourself. Just wait, it gets better. Oh, good. He would use his position to gain access to his victims. He confessed to everything and also confessed he was planning to kill his girlfriend and her daughter on Valentine's Day. That's like, wow, romantic. Wow. What a dick. Yeah. Wow. So, spine chills number two. A ranger from the backcountry division in Yosemite Park recalls a strange experience while patrolling on foot in the middle of a trail. He found a freshly severed deer head. The cut was clean, and there was no body or blood to be found. Hunting was not legal during this time of year, so he surveyed the area. It doesn't get better. Oh my god. Poor, poor deer. He buried the head and continued on. Half a mile later, he found a second deer head in the middle of the trail. Oh, fuck that. That's like the worst, like, you, you know, like when you're watching a cartoon, it's like, ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. That is the worst trail I've heard of. Worst piece of candy, I know. <laughs> so panic sets in and he realizes he was 30 miles away from his vehicle and whoever had done this could be watching him. Again, he surveyed the area, found nothing and buried the head. Before finishing his patrol, he discovered a third deer head. Jesus. Almost completely stripped of skin. He reported the creepy trail of deer heads, but who put them there remains a mystery. That is super freaky. I'm sorry. Super freaky. You know, I can understand burying the first one, but the second one. I would hightail it right back to my vehicle. Yeah, but the, maybe there was a fourth. Maybe, like, he, it took him three to be like, mm, we're done here. Hard pass. I think I would dip after the first one. <laughs> Especially when there's no body around. Well, no blood, too. That's weird. Like, that means, like, that whole blood, like, it was it obviously was placed, placed there. there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so story number three. Many children have gone missing in Yosemite with bizarre elements in common. They tend to disappear in locations rich with huckleberries, and many times a storm follows, washing away their tracks or clues. They are found very far away and are always missing clothing or shoes, with no scrapes on their feet providing, almost like they were teleported to a different part of the park. What? Local lore tells of a few beasts that could be responsible, like the cannibalistic Wendigo, Wendigo, or the mountain devils called Sihatics, who possesses hypnotic abilities and extraordinary strengths. Sorry, if I pronounced that wrong. I feel like Wendigos would probably have eaten the children, though, if they're cannibalistic. Mm-hmm. So I'm leaning more towards the... Uh... Devils? Yes. Yeah. I don't know who... I definitely don't want to run into a Wendigo. There was also another story about, like, some alien creature. I don't have it in my notes because I just... I couldn't find enough on it. Fair enough. But there was notes of, like, of some gray creatures stalking the area. Oh. So, like, in my alleged sayings, it could also be them. Ooh. See, like, when you said, like... 
uh, kids like ending up. I was thinking of like cave systems or something like that. But it would still show on their bare feet. I suppose, yeah. That's true. Like, look at your bare feet at the end of the day in summer. Mm, fair. Right? Yeah. So, our fourth story. Okay. Fourth and final. Okay. A California conserv- conservation worker was camping in the Tuolumne Meadows of Yosemite. One night, when he heard heavy footsteps heading straight for his tent, he went out to investigate and was faced with what he could only describe as the legendary Bigfoot. Oh my god! Once his brain processed with the roughly 600-pound beast covered in black fur standing on two legs was, he screamed. To his surprise, the creature screamed back and retreated. (laughs) I mean, fair. What else do you do if you're a Bigfoot? You're just, like, trying to live your life. Right? You're screaming, I'm screaming, bye. (laughs) My bad. I will just leave. Sorry. So, yeah, that is the story of Yosemite National Park. That was super interesting. Thank you. So, some of my references were www.nps.gov, Wikipedia, thenationsvacation.com. Nationsvacation, I love that. I know. Ghostsandghouls.com and ranker.com. Nice. Yeah, this one actually had, like, there was a lot of really good history on it. There was a lot of really good stories about it. And I think no matter what way you wanted to go with it, it was really interesting to read about. Absolutely. It sounds like it was super interesting. Yeah, the deer head one, that just freaked me out. (sighs) Or the guy who was just like nonchalantly, yeah, I was going to kill my girlfriend and her child on Valentine's Day, but instead I killed these four people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So that is us now. Thank you again for listening to C is for Creepy. We really hope that you enjoy the episodes and you'll rate and review us and give us five stars. That would help us get on the map. Yeah, we'd really appreciate that. Especially if you enjoy the show. We really want to hear the feedback too. That too. So thanks for listening. Thank you. Oh, don't forget to tune in next Tuesday to hear G stories. Yes, and then we are also going to have a bonus episode at the last Friday of every month. Yes, so make sure you tune in to hear those. Yay! Okay, thanks for listening. Bye! Thanks, bye! Thanks for tuning in to See Is For Creepy. We put out weekly episodes every Tuesday going through the creepy alphabet. Check out our website at acast.com slash C is for creepy. Or on Facebook at C is for creepy podcast. Or on Instagram at C for creepy podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, please email us at C for creepy at gmail.com. Artwork done by Alexis Daly. Check out her work at L-E-X-X-A underscore artwork on Instagram. See you next week. Bye.